Today's episode of Sliced is brought to you by Startup Networks. Are you tired of filling out contact forms just to get ghosted by investors? Well, Startup Networks is a platform for you. Networks is an all-in-one platform devoted to helping you get funding. With the network's innovative AI technology, founders are matched with interested investors, and investors are matched with interesting founders, all from the comfort of one easy-to-use platform. Try Networks today for free at StartupNetworks.com. That's S-T-A-R-T-U-P-N-E-T-W-O-R-X.com. The two things that really interested me in coming to Converis were a, you know, doing something technologically that's cool and disruptive. I think everyone wants to be part of doing something cool, right? Um, and, and unique. And um, so, you know, doing something along those lines motivates me every day. Uh, and then being able to do something good uh, in the world that really makes a difference. Hi, and welcome to the Sliced Podcast, where we share startup stories from founders, investors, and CEOs from across the globe. A little bit about our platform, Startup Blog Post, is that we're a community where aspiring entrepreneurs and venture capital ecosystem stakeholders can share meaningful insights, engage with colleagues and peers, and stay informed. Hi, and welcome back to the Sliced Podcast. I'm your host, Emily Ahrens. Today's guest is Todd Mickelson, CEO of Converis. Converis provides web-based, non-intrusive technology solutions for deception detection. By creating an innovative eye movement tracking technology, Converis is disrupting the lie detection industry. Hi, Todd. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hi, Emily. Thanks for having me. Yes. So excited to talk about deception, I guess, and detection (laughs) and you. (laughs) <laughs> lying. Lying. Detecting lies, yes. <laughs> I'm nervous. Um, but let's get started. So tell me, where are you originally from? Um, so originally I was born in Michigan, raised in Idaho, graduated from Brigham Young University okay. uh, with a degree in uh, uh, international business and marketing. And... Um, Throughout my career, I've done several startup companies. Um, the most recent is Converis. Mm-hmm. So with international business and marketing, was it your plan to become essentially, well, would you call yourself an entrepreneur or not necessarily? No, I would, yes. Yeah. Um, uh, originally, the plan was to to be the CEO of a company. Um, when I started, the the intended path wasn't necessarily to get there uh, by being an entrepreneur. But um, my second job was with a startup with uh, less than fifteen employees, and I really liked the idea of being able to wear multiple hats. Mm-hmm. and be involved in the strategic decisions and direction of the company. And um, really since then, uh, a year out of college, 
I've been involved in startups with the exception of about four years at Microsoft uh, after Microsoft uh, acquired uh, a company that we started and grew uh, over time. Awesome. That's so neat. And so after Microsoft, how long was it before Converis came onto the scene? About two years. Um, uh, and it's an interesting story uh, about Converis and how it got started. I don't know if that would be uh, worthwhile sharing. Yes, of course. Um, That's what we're here for. But um, so Paul Alstrom, who's uh, a known uh, pioneer in the VC space here in the in the Utah area, um, he formed uh, a seed fund uh, called Alta Ventures. And many of the limited partners who invested in that uh, initial fund were some of the more wealthy individuals who run some of the largest companies in Mexico. And one of the uh, desires that they had as part of the fund was to see the funds used not only um, for investments that were technology driven, but to potentially address one of the biggest challenges that they have in Latin America, and that is corruption. Um, corruption causes lots of lots of challenges uh, within organizations, and um, so Paul started exploring uh, some potential areas where technology could address corruption, and he stumbled across what five scientists at the University of Utah had done uh, over the previous 10 years in this area of detecting uh, lies. Uh, some call it credibility assessment uh, is probably the nicer way of saying it, or uh, others refer to it as deception detection. But it's really this idea of being able to detect if someone is lying about something Mm -hmm. uh, that you care about. And um, so Paul uh, looked into what the University of Utah had done. These five scientists, what they had, uh, um, some some actual uh, lab and field studies that they had run, uh, papers that had been published, in some cases peer-reviewed, published in reputable scientific journals, and was very intrigued. Um, and he approached me and said, hey, um, what do you think about going to the university and licensing out this science um, and building a commercial product that we could take to market. And um, I, I got very interested in that for two reasons. Um, one, you know, it's tough to find uh, a technology that, that is truly disruptive. Um, I think any, entrepreneurs, any entrepreneur that's, that's looking to do something new uh, you know, they're off, often looking for um, something that's truly disruptive, that, that really changes for the better the way we do things. Mm -hmm. And uh, I saw this as a great opportunity. Um, for almost 100 years, the only game in town was polygraph that is full of lots of challenges. Um, you know, you get hooked up to all these sensors that are extremely intrusive. It's a, a very uncomfortable, lengthy process. Most people don't know that the average, um, actually, uh, according to the American Polygraph Association, um, 
a test should be no less than 90 minutes long uh, to meet the standards that they've set. So it's long, it's uncomfortable, it's very, uh, can be biased by the human that's giving the test. And um, so I saw an opportunity here to, uh, to really do something unique that was disruptive. Mm-hmm. Um, but the flip side was the opportunity to do something that could truly change the world for the better. Uh, there's a book that was written by Stephen M. R. Covey, not to be confused with Stephen Covey, um, titled The Speed of, of Trust. And in his book, he talks about how in, in many areas, especially in what we might call third world countries, countries that are less developed, where there is a lot of corruption, Part of the reason that they don't have progress is one of the biggest reasons they don't have the the progress that we see in other developed nations is this uh, lack of trust or uh, the the, the underlying corruption that occurs uh, in in that area. And um, if you can change that, um, you can truly change the culture um, and see people who unfortunately in many cases, the, the good actors are the ones that suffer the worst um, from 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 the bad actors, and um, so I, I saw this as an opportunity to to not only do something really cool and innovative that was disruptive, but at the same time, hopefully, do something good for for society as a whole in terms of uh, providing tools that would um, enable organizations and governments and countries to root out the corruption that exists. Mm-hmm. And so how exactly, tell our listeners, because they're probably familiar with the polygraph as well. I know I am. So explain to us the main differences between what you're doing with Converis and a typical polygraph. Yeah, so um, the product that we commercialized, so in, in a long story short, we went to the University of Utah, licensed out the science uh, gave some stock to the invest to the scientists so that they could stay at the university and continue to do research and teach, but um, get a piece of the pie when you know when when we're successful with a commercial product and and um, the product that we built is called iDetect. Um, it's a, a bit of a play on words, but it's uh, in essence an eye-based lie detector. It can detect if you're lying by analyzing um, minor changes in your eyes uh, while you take a computer-based test. So is it like an eyeglass that you're putting on or what is what does the technology look like? Yeah, originally when the scientists did this, they had a head-mounted eye tracker. So it was a device that like you a put helmet. on your head, right? That would, uh, it was actually, it, you know, it had, a bar that came around the one side and the eye tracking camera was about one inch away from your right eye. Uh, or that feels close. Right. And it, (laughs) and it, and it was monitoring these subtle changes. So unlike in the movies where you see someone who looks, you know, where they'd say, Oh, if the person, uh, looks lower right or upper left, uh, you can tell they're lying. lying. That may Mm -hmm. be true for certain individuals, where their tail is that way. But if you think about it culturally, uh, in some cultures, you don't look someone straight in the eye when you're answering a question. You look down or to the side. Um, 
iDetect works off of the science that when we lie, we exert more mental effort to communicate that lie. Um, uh, one technique that um, some police investigators will use is they'll ask you to recount the story backwards. So mm. tell me, tell me the events that occurred in reverse order. And what they're doing is they're trying to see if you made it up. We tend to make right. more mistakes if you made it up. Uh, if you're trying to cover up something and you've made it up, you're, um, uh, you're, you're, you're thinking harder about, is this believable? Am I going right. to communicate something that isn't, isn't real, that someone else will know isn't real because they were at the scene of the crime or, or they have some other uh, insider knowledge relative to, to mm-hmm. what really happened? And so when we exert uh, more mental effort, and, th- and this applies not just to lying, but if, you, you know, if I had you do a more sophisticated math problem in your head than a simple math problem, and we monitored what your eyes were doing, we would see your pupils dilate. When you're calculating in your head, the more difficult math problem. Hmm. Um, You can't see it with the naked eye, but with a special camera that can detect these minute changes of up to a tenth of a millimeter, some cases a hundredth of a millimeter, uh, with a special uh, eye tracking camera, where it's measuring these changes at 60 times per second. Now, when you answer a question that you're lying to, Mm-hmm. Um, by virtue of the fact you're lying, uh, unbeknownst to you, you're exerting more mental effort. Uh, and there's a, this involuntary effect where your eyes dilate uh, up to a tenth of a millimeter. You can't feel it. You can't control it. Unlike a polygraph where you can, you know, they're just measuring, um, does your heart rate change? Do you start to sweat? Are there changes in your respiration when you're answering? Are there changes in your blood pressure? Those are all uh, more emotionally and evoked um, physiological changes that you can learn to control. Um, but in the case of eye detect, uh, we're measuring a change in cognitive load. Uh, mm-hmm. You're exerting more brain power when you lie, and uh, uh, that exertion is exhibited by your eyes dilating, and we can pick it up in real time. That's so cool. It's like a piece of like spy equipment or something. That's really, really neat. So you're the current CEO, correct? That's correct. So I'm curious to get your thoughts on, we're going to kind of pivot a little, but to get your thoughts on what creates an effective leader. Um, I think an effective leader is someone who can set the vision and direction for the organization. Um, but also recognizes that he or she isn't the smartest person in the company and, uh, in fact, uh, is smart enough to surround themselves with a really strong team, with people who have uh, the experience and the ability to execute on the various areas within the business to make it successful, um, and uh, will take counsel from those mm-hmm. individuals and work, work as a team to, to be successful. It's really a team effort. Yeah. What's, can you think back to a, a particular risk that you've taken in your career or as a leader and kind of how you navigated that and how it ultimately turned out? Um, 
we, um, we uh, in a previous startup that I was in, um, it was actually a scenario where we were acquired by a company um, that had a different product. Um, there was some synergy between our product and their product, but they had a different product and the company was really focused on that product. Um, we eventually took the company public and um, market conditions changed within the first two quarters after we went public and our revenues declined um, in that next quarter by 80%. Mm-hmm. Uh, obviously the shareholders didn't like that. Our stock tanked and the company was, you know, set to go out of business. Um, we approached the owners uh, because we had just been acquired within the last year and we uh, made an offer to spin ourselves back out um, and to form in our own company. And um, we, we, you know, we did that. Um, and, and right after we did that, you know, we we're operating on a shoestring budget. We analyzed where our business was coming from and a decision, you know, we determined that 40% of our revenue was coming from Europe, uh, specifically from the UK and from Amsterdam. Our most strategic clients were headquartered in those areas. And um, um, we determined that if we wanted to be successful, we needed to have a closer relationship with them. We needed to be geographically close to them to where we could support them and grow that part of the business. And so I raised my hand and said, I will, I will go take my five uh, children who were 12 and under and Ooh. relocate uh, to the UK. Um, wow. It was a risk um, because we were a startup. You know, there was there was the question in the back of my mind, okay, if this isn't successful, am I going to get stuck in the UK? Will I be able to afford, <laughs> you know, the, the cost of living mm-hmm. um, and everything else? And um, uh, anyway, it was the right decision. Um, yeah. In the end, uh, we grew we grew the business in Europe, Middle East, and Africa uh, within the next two years by uh, – by more than um, 600% uh, from where we were when we first arrived. We built a team of people, uh, not only in the UK, but in Germany and in France. And, um, and you know, three years later, we relocated back uh, after having a great experience. Um, but um, I guess it was more of a personal risk. Um, yeah. Uh, that that affect, you know, could have turned out very differently for me and my yeah. family. Um, for sure. Absolutely. Well, I am curious if you weren't CEO of Converis today, what do you think you'd be doing? Um, so leading up to this role, I uh, have mostly been in new business development, um, uh, strategic product management, product marketing type roles. Um, and, 
you know, the difference is you get to do all the fun things without having the responsibility that a CEO carries. Mm -hmm. Um, So I would be doing that. Um, I think there are other, there are some benefits to being a CEO where you can, where you can make the ultimate decision if you really believe uh, in in what you're doing. But, um, you know, the benefit at Converis is we've been small enough that I can still utilize that skill set, which I did in bringing to market uh, iDetect, which which we now have, um, we have over 600 active customers. So these are clients that are running tests every day. Some of them are running thousands, tens of thousands of tests a year in, in, in more than 50 countries, running wow. tests in more than, in 50, in more than 50 languages. Um, because it's a computer-based test, obviously, the, the questions need to be presented to you in your native language. Um, and, um, and there are challenges, obviously, in selling all over the world. Um, in multiple languages, but we've delivered a product that I think is truly disruptive and, and we're starting to see the, the benefits of that. Um, so, um, I enjoy yeah. being able to, to take, uh, an idea, uh, and create a disruptive product and, mm-hmm. and take it to market, uh, where we're truly making a difference. Yeah. What is one piece of advice that you would give another a fellow entrepreneur or somebody just getting started in their founder journey? Um, I would um, suggest that you uh, really nail the product market fit before you scale up um, the organization. Um, there've been a couple times in the past in various startups where, you know, we got the, we got the product built or at least So we thought we had the product built. Uh, we thought we had identified the right beachhead that we were going after. And there was pressure in some cases from the board to step on mm-hmm. the gas, meaning, you know, let's build out a team. Let's bring in that uh, season. You know, you need, you need a team, but, you know, bringing in a, a seasoned uh, VP of marketing, VP of sales, uh, VP of finance slash CFO, you know, building out your C-suite, um, I would just recommend that you really nail the product market fit um, and ensure that you are growing and have a repeatable, predictable model uh, for that growth uh, before you scale up. Um, I think that's great advice. So you just end up incurring lots of expense uh, where uh, you may not, may not be at that point yet. And and then you're left to let friends and uh, keep, keep people go uh, because you can't sustain uh, the expense that you just incurred uh, Mm -hmm. underestimating uh, what it would take to, to grow at the rate you wanted to grow at. Right. I am curious and out of pure naivete. Um, Do you see any industry trends emerging in this kind of deception detection space? Purely out of a stance of me not knowing. I mean, you mentioned the polygraph was the main thing. It had been around for a hundred years and 
now with, you know, I detect on the scene, are there, are there people doing similar things or is there a reason why, why hadn't anybody tried anything in the last hundred years? I mean, why have we been relying so heavily on the polygraph? Yeah, I think there's really two aspects. So there was a law passed in 1988 um, that restricted the use of polygraph to government, basically, um, in an employment situation. Um, about 90% of our revenue and the number of tests that are run are mostly pre-employment screening tests. Uh, here in the U.S., that's not allowed uh, because of this law, if, uh, unless, unless it's government. So, I mean, it could be a school teacher, someone who ultimately gets paid by, by government entity, uh, local to the federal level, uh, is allowed to use polygraph. But what, what happened in 1988 was there was this new industry born um, um, that is referred to as an integrity test. And it's becoming more common today. I mean, if you talk to a lot of people who apply for certain jobs, um, if they're an engineer, sometimes they'll give them a test to verify if they can really write code, right? Mm -hmm. uh, if they're a support rep, they'll often give them a test to, to verify their, their, um, their nature in terms of how they handle objections, irate customers. And so, you know, do they have the patience to deal with uh, a customer who's who's yelling at them when it's really not their fault. They're trying to help them, right? But how do they deal with that? Uh, that's another type of uh, uh, test that, that you see nowadays. The third is this integrity test. Um, mm -hmm. A lot of organizations have started to make that part of their hiring process. The, the problem is an integrity test doesn't really work. Um, it's a set of hypothetical questions like, what would you do if you knew your fellow employee was stealing, uh, would you A, turn them in to management, B, ask them to stop, C, join in because the company isn't paying you what you're, what you're deserved, you know? Um, and they're tools that don't really verify if you're lying. Um, they're tools that organizations use to try to assess if you're a good person, if you're an honest mm -hmm. person. Those tools have proliferated throughout country, you know, countries in, say, Latin America, where, where we sell, um, you know, a large number of our customers are based. Um, and they do it because of the cultural issues uh, there with corruption. Um, I don't know if you spent time, say, in Latin America, but if you're driving somewhere in Latin America, and a police officer pulls up behind you with their lights on. Um, as you're pulling over, you're not thinking about what did I do wrong? Because you may not have done anything wrong. You're thinking about, okay, how much cash do I need to give this officer in order to be able to continue on my journey? Mm -hmm. It's a cultural thing because it's just the, the, the corruption. It's the police uh, make their money part of their pay is getting a bribe from you basically when they pull you over. So organizations have tried to use these integrity tests. Uh, they, they wouldn't use polygraph for those situations because polygraph is too expensive, too intrusive. There just wasn't really any um, viable, fast, accurate lie detection available. Um, and it was really our science team that 
I think, discovered this method. Um, mm-hmm. There isn't really anything else like it. There, there have been some things tried, but, you know, like putting sensors on your head and verifying the brave changes in brain waves. It actually works, but it's extremely intrusive and yeah. it's only about 70% accurate. So um, we're seeing more of a trend in this area. Um, case in point is one of our clients in Mexico is, is one of the larger casinos. They, they did some internal analysis and discovered that 20% of their revenue that comes in every, every month was being siphoned off by one of three people, the security mm-hmm. personnel, the dealers, or the cashiers. So those, these are the three people who have access to the money. And um, they came to us and said, we want to implement a policy where we don't hire anyone who can't pass an ID tech test. And then annually on a, you know, unexpected basis, random basis, we're going to test our current employees to make sure they, they haven't been stealing from us. Mm-hmm. Within three months, that 20% of their revenue going missing dropped to less than 5%. And everyone knows if you want to go work for Caliente, that's the name of the company, um, you'll have to take this eye-based, you know, this computer-based test that analyzes your eyes. The employees who used to steal no longer steal because they know they're going to be tested. Right. And K- KPMG did a did a recent study where they determined that 80% of the theft that's occurring within organizations, this is true within the U.S., is is an insider-based theft. It's someone on the inside that's that's taken sure. from the... And if you can implement uh, tools like iDetect, you can reduce that 80% theft uh, down to about 10% by by just implementing tools that discourage people from doing things they shouldn't do. Right. That's so neat. Well, again, pivoting back to you, what motivates you every day? Um, Going back to what I mentioned before, I think um, the two things that really interested me in coming to Converis were a, you know, doing something technologically that's cool and disruptive I think everyone wants to be part of doing something cool, right? Um, right. And, and unique. And um, so, you know, doing something along those lines motivates me every day. Uh, and then being able to do something good uh, in the world that really makes a difference. Mm-hmm. I, I think, yeah, I mean, we all want to, we all want to be successful and, and, and reap the financial benefits but uh, it's it's great to be able to do something that is really making a difference in the world in terms of changing, yes. changing the culture mm-hmm. and, and making lives better for those at the bottom that that typically, um, like I said, are affected in the most negative way right. uh, from corruption of others. Well, to close us out, could you describe your journey thus far using just one word? One word. Uh, Exciting. I like it. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Todd. Is there anything else you'd like to add about yourself, Converis, anything at all? Uh, 
Um, no, just that if, uh, you know, you want to know more, uh, if, if you are, you know, in a situation where, uh, uh, you'd like to learn more or uh, be part of part of the team, uh, reach out to us at Converis.com. Perfect. Thank you so much, Todd. It was so great to learn a little bit more about you and what you've been up to. All right. Thank you. To learn more about today's guest, please visit startupblogpost.com. If you're interested in sponsoring an episode of Sliced, please email newsroom at startupblogpost.com and follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook.